Section 4 of The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 7, July 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in July 2016. The Aberration of Sound as Illustrated by the Berkeley Powder Explosion by Robert H. Chapman, United States Geological Survey. Dr. Charles A. White and Mr. Arnold B. Johnson have treated of the sounds given by fog sirens. They have discovered areas close to the siren in which the sound is inaudible. In some cases this fact is accounted for by the intervention of an object, such as an island or mountain, but not infrequently there is no visible obstruction to the sound waves coming from the siren. It is my wish to present some facts that have come within my own observation and that show a direct relationship between sound waves and waves of motion generated by sharp explosions. On Saturday, July 9, 1892, about 9.30 a.m., an explosion occurred at the giant powder works at West Berkeley, California. The first explosion was in the mixing room, and about 1,000 pounds of nitroglycerine were discharged. About five minutes later, the three magazines blew up, the final explosion being the heaviest. The total amount of powder and nitroglycerine exploded was about 250 tons. The shock of the last explosion was very severe, the column of smoke and flame rising to a height of at least 1,200 feet and resembling a volcanic eruption. The damage in San Francisco, eight miles across the bay, was very great, plate glass windows being broken, doors forced, and skylights shattered. The shock seemed to be a little heavier in the low-lying portion of the city, although farther from the scene of the explosion, than in the hilly quarter. It was distinctly felt by the engineer and passengers of a rapidly moving express train twelve miles north of the works. A train only five miles distant was partially protected by hills, and no shock was noticed. At Napa, twenty-eight miles due north, the shock was distinctly noticeable. About one and one-half miles a little south of east of the works, and at about one hundred feet higher elevation, is situated a large frame building, built for hotel purposes, and having a great number of rooms and windows. It was used at that time as a young lady's seminary, but the explosion occurred during vacation, and the president of the institution and his family were the only person occupying it. Accordingly, most of the rooms were vacant and the doors and windows closed. The dimensions of the building are about 200 feet in an east-west direction, by fifty feet north and south, and it is several stories high. On the first floor are large dining rooms, reception rooms, etc., with a hallway in the middle of the building. The upper stories have a hallway running east and west for the entire length of the building, doors opening to rooms on each side of the hall, and transoms over the doors, with elevator and stairways in the middle of the building, as shown in the accompanying ground plan and profile which, however, are given as correct only as to their general features. For convenience, the windows shown in the sketch are numbered vertically from the bottom and lettered consecutively from the left. 
the conservatory on the north side of the building was badly broken both glass and framework the latter being moved outward or toward the focus of action all the windows on the western end of the building were broken while those on the eastern end were uninjured the direction of the waves of motion was toward the northwest corner of the building on examining the column marked b I found window two blown in and its frame broken into small pieces. Window three was uninjured, while four was in a condition similar to two, both glass and frame being broken. This skipping of alternate windows in the same vertical line was remarked in several instances, but the broken windows were not always in the same horizontal line. I remarked no systematic alternations in injuries to windows of the same story. In some cases, the transom above the door of a room, the door and window being shut, was broken, glass and frame, the door blown in toward the room and broken from the hinges and lock, the window remaining uninjured. Many windows on the south side of the building, the side unexposed to the direct force of the explosion, were broken, and many doors on the south side of the hallway were broken and unhinged. The large doors at the entrance of the building on the south side were broken from hinges, lock and floor bolt, one was blown in and the other blown out. No damage was noted in the vicinity of the elevator shaft where the air in the building was free to circulate. The general rule appeared to be that the doors were forced toward the room or hallway having the greater cubical contents. Looking at the north side of the building, one was impressed with the fact that it appeared to have been bombarded, the windows being broken in groups. This seems to bear out, to some extent at least, the assertion of Professor P. G. Tate that, in the case of a disturbance in air due to a very sudden explosion, as of dynamite or as by the passing of a flash of lightning, it is probable that for some distance from the source the motion is of projectile character. The breaking of the transoms over doors, while the window was uninjured, and the breaking of the windows unexposed to the direct force of the explosion, are very interesting phenomena, and I wish to offer an explanation which I think will account for the facts observed. The path of the maximum of disturbance results largely from the unequal resistance of the air, and while at the actual centre of explosion the pressure may be in concentric shells, at a very short distance it becomes stellar. The changing pressure of the wind, as shown by Professor Langley's experiments, and the shape of the flame in an explosion, stellar, lead one to this conclusion. As the maximum wave moves from the focus, the air forming it is constantly changing, and the following sketch illustrates the path of an air particle as I believe it to be. A, B, and C are air particles in the path of a maximum wave traveling along the line OP. The motion of each is first along the line of OP, away from the focus, a result of direct impact of other particles, then back to its original position, or near it, the track forming a closed curve. When the particle is in the position A', B', or C', its motion is toward the focus of the explosion, and so any damage it might do would be evidenced by a breaking of objects unexposed to the force of the direct wave. In the case of the transoms mentioned above, 
the back thrust which broke the glass and frame was cushioned by the air in the room and so the window was not injured end of section four